Right, we're just going to get straight into it this morning because I, I don't know, I just get a sense that God wants to do something um, spectacular in your world and my world and in this place. So we're going to go straight to Luke 4, 18 to 19. We looked at the scripture last week. We're going to break it down a little bit more this week. Um, it says this, it says the Spirit of the Lord, this is Jesus speaking, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Everyone say, upon me. So it's on him for a reason, yeah, for a purpose. Everything about our lives, every time God comes upon your life, he comes upon your life for a purpose or for a reason. And in this moment, in this time, the reason why the power of God has come upon Jesus in this time is because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. It's interesting because this, this that Jesus is reading, what used to happen in the synagogue, because he's reading it in the synagogue or in the church of their time, is, is the synagogue had a reading list where it would break down the Bible and each uh, week or each Sunday or whatever it was, that there was a particular verse that was to be read. It just happened that the day that Jesus was due to read out of the scrolls, it has happened to be this verse that comes out of Isaiah. And so Jesus is prophesying here about who he is. And isn't it crazy how God, you know, people go, oh, you know, we just need this spontaneous stuff and the Spirit of God to move and all that sort of stuff. How many people know that everything about God is planned and purposeful? That it wasn't a coincidence that Jesus just happened to be reading the day that this scripture was the scripture reading for the day. God planned it. God purposed it. God got it ready for that. And he says that this is the reason why it is upon me. And, and the funny thing is, is that in Isaiah, it talks about the day of wrath before it talks about the acceptable year, but Jesus doesn't even quote that part, as Jesus is trying to show us that in the Old Testament there may have been a day of wrath, but under the new covenant and the new grace and mercy and the forgiveness of what God was about to bring to our world, there's no longer a day of wrath, but there's only years of acceptability. Are you with me this morning? And so this is such an important verse because it's so important, but the crazy thing is, is Jesus read this, in the synagogue in Nazareth, and in Nazareth was the town that he grew up in, and Nazareth was the town where he did the least amount of miracles because people were just too familiar with him because they just knew him as Joseph's son, the carpenter. They had no understanding of who he was. They became way too familiar with Jesus. And can I suggest to you that some of the reason why we as Christ followers or Christians or believers don't actually find this verse to be true to our lives is that we have become too familiar with Jesus, too familiar with church, too familiar with his word, too familiar with just how church operates. And so we come along on a Sunday, but it's kind of ho-hum. It's kind of like, yeah, been there, done that. We listen to the message, but it doesn't really change us that much because we don't really have a life relationship with Jesus. We just have a church relationship with Jesus. Somebody says, let's worship, but we don't lift our hands because we wonder why everybody lifts their hands. And then somebody says, pray for the person next to you, but you don't pray for them because you don't know how to pray because you've never prayed in your life. And it's all too 
familiar. You don't really like praying, so you don't pray. And it's all too familiar. We've become familiar with church. We've become familiar with His presence, familiar with God, familiar with His Word. We can quote scriptures left, right, and center because we've been around for a long, long time. But we're just saying stuff, not necessarily believing stuff. And we are meant to be believers, and we should have a relationship with Jesus, and we should know the Bible, and we should be led by the Holy Spirit. We should grow in fruits of the Spirit, and we are meant to be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe in Him that way, then we should have faith that the Spirit of God can move in our lives and not have a Nazareth mindset of just saying, this is all really nice and lovely, and I've been around church my whole entire life. I've been a Christian for 30-something years, but nothing ever happens. It's a nice scripture, but it doesn't apply to me. I told you we were getting straight into it this morning. And if you ask me, I think there's a Nazareth-type spirit in a lot of Christians today. And I think that this is fairly prophetic of where some Christians are at because we read this, but we don't really believe it. Because if we believed it, we wouldn't carry around some of the stuff that we've been carrying around for way too long. And the message, it puts it this way. It says, God's Spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to prisoners. The recovery of sight to the blind. To set the burdened and battered free. To announce this is God's year to act. I don't know about you, but I hear that. I read that and something stirs on the inside of me that wants to grab hold of that scripture and make it every part of my life because I've got a heart that has been broken that needs to be mended. I've got burdens that I need him to lift off me. I've been battered and I need to be set free. I, I, I'm sometimes poor in my thinking and I need the gospel of Jesus Christ to help me to see life right, to get the kingdom perspective, God's perspective on what I can just see in the natural. I don't know about you, but I read that verse and I go, man, I'm not sure that all of that verse applies to my life, but I want it to. I want it to apply to every part of who I am. And when we come to dealing with the baggage in our lives, we really want this verse to apply to every part of our lives. And the message this morning is really, my title is, Jesus can handle your baggage. And the scripture says that that's what he's here to do to handle our baggage. Sometimes we think maybe God doesn't want to deal with our stuff. Maybe, it, you know, like, I, I don't want to really open up what's going on because I don't really want God to see some of this stuff in my life. Here's, here's a real buzzkill for you. The Bible says that Jesus, that God sees everything, knows everything. So this stuff that you think you're hiding, He sees. So you might as well do what David did fall to your knees and say, create in me a clean heart, O God, and you renew a right spirit within me. Why would we hold on to this stuff when the scripture says that he came to set us free from all of it? And so we pack our bags, we learned last week, we pack our bags in three ways, with life experiences, the things that have happened to us that we don't even get to choose, that we don't even deserve, that we don't even see coming, those things that people have done to us, those life experiences, they pack our bags with stuff, with unforgiveness and, and hurt and pain and all that. The second thing where, where our bags get packed, we talked about the enemy of our soul. John 10.10 10 says the devil comes to kill and destroy your life, yeah? And so this is what the enemy does. The enemy comes and he 
keeps filling your bag, he keeps filling your life with unforgiveness, keeps filling your life with every evil thing that he can get in there. And why does he keep filling your life with all this hurt, with all this pain, with all this bitterness, with all this unforgiveness? Because the more he are packed with that stuff, you don't have any room for the Holy Spirit stuff. The more you're packed with his stuff, you don't have any room for the fruit of the Spirit or the ways of the kingdom in your life because you're so packed with things that shouldn't be in your life. And so the enemy comes in to keep your bags packed with all the wrong stuff, the wrong thoughts, the wrong emotions, the wrong desires. And even though you really want to be passionate for Christ, you, you just find it really hard to be passionate for Christ because you're so full of all this stuff. You actually have no room for anything that he wants to pack in. The enemy just keeps packing you with yourself and you can't really have a strong prayer life because you're so filled with your own life. You're filled with your business life, your work life, the things that you have to do and, and all the stuff that is going on. But in, in eternity, all that stuff that your life is so full of absolutely means nothing. And you'll know if you've had some tragedy happen in your world or your life or in your family, those things that we think are important drop off our lives in no time whatsoever. I can tell you now, when, when my brother died eight years ago, all the stuff that was going on just didn't matter. When my dad was diagnosed with cancer, all the stuff that was going on just didn't matter. You know, I was talking to Pastor Mark Tobias, who's a good friend of our church in Wellington, and his poor wife, Julie, has been suffering for over about 18 months now with pancreatic cancer, and we've been praying for it every single day, and it hasn't spread, but it hasn't shrunk. It's still there. And you know what? When people ring, I, I don't know how he does pastoring, because if somebody rang me up or sent me an email with a complaint about how loud the music was or something, when your wife's got pancreatic cancer, I'm going to tell you, that stuff just doesn't matter. There's a whole lot of things that we pack into our lives. There's a whole lot of stuff that we pack in that just don't matter in eternity. And you're never going to miss them when something really major happens in your world. And here's the thing. All those things, I'm not saying that they're bad things, but those things don't really make up your life. Your life is not your work. Come on. Your life is not your business. But because all these things are packed into your life, because we've got all this stuff packed into our lives, we have no time for prayer. We have no time for the Word. We have no time for Jesus. And no time for people, no time for ministry, no time for serving, because our life is just so packed with all this other stuff, we have no room for any of God's stuff. The enemy way is to pack our lives with things that just keep on annoying you, but actually keep you from what matters most, which is serving Jesus. And then the last thing that packs our bags is the, our own reactions and unresolved issues, our responses to things, our reactions to things, our thoughts about stuff, our wrong decisions we make. All those things have consequences that pack our bag with stuff that when we set out, we never ever thought that we would end up with that stuff in our world. So many of us have made, including myself, have made decisions 
five years ago that we never realised would have filled our bag with stuff that we're carrying today. Let me, let me just help you a little bit. It's not in my message, but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to say this. Let me help you shift your thinking so that you start packing some of the right things. Think this way. Too many Christians think, is this sinful? So they judge your whole entire life as, if, if I do this, is it sinful? I think we need to think less about sinfulness and think more about what are we seeding into our lives. Because the Bible says this, that everything that is planted produces a harvest. So we're so busy thinking, is this sinful or not, rather than thinking, what harvest will this produce? Because sometimes the things that you do aren't necessarily sinful. But in five years' time, they've filled up your life so much that you have no space. Because you haven't thought about, what is this going to produce? I think we need to think about sin less and start thinking about what are we sowing because what we sow produces, and you're like, well, I made a mistake, but I, I, you know, I need it to change. Here's the thing, this, this is something that I've learned in my life, that if I sow pumpkins, for example, I can't turn around halfway through the harvest season and go, actually, I meant for apples. The pumpkins are still going to be produced, yes? Are you with me? And so what I have to think about is I, if I've made a wrong decision and sowed the wrong thing, then I have to think about what do I need to counter-sow to even that out? If I've sowed unforgiveness, what do I need to counter-sow to level that out? Are you with me? Come on. If you think this way, what am I sowing? It'll change what you do. Our responses, our reactions, our wrong decisions pack our bags. And here's the thing, the first promise in Luke 4, 18 to 19, the first promise that we see there is that the Spirit of the Lord or the anointing that breaks the yoke is upon Him for today. That, that this anointing, this power of the Holy Spirit, this anointing upon Jesus to set us free is available to us today. It's available to us tomorrow. It's available to us Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and for the rest of your life. It is available in the morning, in the evening, and in the afternoon. It is available as soon as you feel brokenhearted. It's available if you... Wait three weeks before. It's just available to you all the time because Jesus wants to set you and me free. And it is there. It's there today. It's there tomorrow. And we all have baggage that we need to deal with. And hopefully by now, you have realized that, man, I've got some, but that's okay because Jesus wants to deal with it. Hopefully by now in this series, you've understand that the person that packed your bag was you. It wasn't your parents, it wasn't your friends, it wasn't your siblings, and it certainly wasn't God, but you chose, you made decisions, you reacted, you did things that's caused you to pack your bag with your stuff. And the cool thing is, is if you recognize that and you acknowledge that, 
then you've made progress. You've made a start because you're understanding that by acknowledging it, that you're understanding that it's time to deal with it and you've got your life moving in the right direction. And here's the thing. I have deep, deep respect and have no problem at all with doctors and with counsellors. I see counsellor myself. I go to the doctor when I'm sick. I have no problem with them at all. But I think that when we get to particular things around our emotions and our hurts and our pains and our baggage and our spiritual wounds, I think there are some things where medicine may be good for your body, but it's not always good for your soul. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go to a doctor. I've told people in my office, you need to go to the doctor, you need to get some, some um, medication because you're so depressed right now that even if we try to talk about what's going on in your world, you're in such a low, you won't be able to work through it. You won't be able to process through it because you're so deep. So let's get you some medication so that it lifts you a little bit up out of that hole and then we'll deal with the problem that you've got going on and we'll get to the root of the crisis so that you can come off them and be set free. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be on something if you're on something. I'm just saying this, that sometimes we get given a pull for every emotional problem, and really what it is doing is it's treating the symptoms, not the root cause of the problem. And I believe that what Jesus wants to do today in your life and in my life, and I believe that what Luke 4, 18 to 19 says is that Jesus wants to get to the root of your problem and heal you and deliver you and set you free. Are you with me today? This is my belief that it's people's emotional problems and spiritual problems that are the root of most of their mental problems. And sometimes we're just getting the wrong help and they're never ever free because the only thing being treated is the symptoms. And Jesus said, I, I can treat you. Jesus didn't say, I can treat your symptoms. What he said is, I've, I have to come back to what the Word of God says. And what it says in regards to what Christ can do for you, what Christ can do for me, that no one else can do. And I know this for a fact because I've had this experience that Jesus can reach into the darkest, deepest part of your heart and emotions, and he can do an operation within you, and he can touch the things that were untouchable, heal the things that were unhealable, that no one else can do, and he can do it a lot cheaper than a doctor and a counselor. And I respect those who have a heart to help people, and I have referred people to go for counseling, but usually what I do is I refer you to a Christian counselor that's actually going to call on the Spirit of God to get to the root of your problem, not just give you tools to cope with the symptoms. You see, a, a wee while ago, when I was a young fella, um, I used to play high-level soccer. I used to play in the premier division of my age group and, uh, and regional competitions and all that sort of stuff. Loved it, absolutely loved it. And, um, and what happened in one game is that, is that um, I was playing goalie and I went up for the ball when a cross came in in a corner. Another guy went up for the ball who was way bigger than me and he, when I came down with the ball and he came down on my foot with his springs. And it hurt a little bit, a lot. 
And, um, you know, but my, my, you'll understand this if you were kind of born in the, in the, in the era that I was born in. Um, my dad was behind the goals, encouraging me, saying, toughen up, son, get up. No pain, no gain. Yes? Take a concrete pill and harden up. This is the kind of thing that he would be saying. So I get up there, and I got this sore foot, but I keep playing the game, and I play the game, and I kind of, we went home afterwards, and, and it was in Wellington, and it was a southerly, and it was really cold, and so mum ran me a bath. It was a lukewarm, but it felt like it was boiling hot, and, um, and my foot was just throbbing and hurting, and, um, and you know, mum was like, here's a couple of Panadol. And this probably went on for about a week of me limping, and, um, and my mum's a nurse. So, you know, uh, limping and carrying on, and it was just like, you know, you'll be right, it's just badly bruised, you'll be okay, da 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 da, da. Anyway, it, my, my little toe started to go black. So I went to the doctor, and the doctor said, oh, he's broken a bone in his foot, and that's why there's a problem there. And Anyway, he did some stuff, and, and my toe came right, but, but it was kind of like, my mum just kept on giving me Panadol, just kept on treating the symptom of pain, but never getting to the root of what the problem was. And some of us are just like that, we just keep on treating the symptom. That's why people drink alcohol and do drugs, because they're just treating the symptom, just numbing the pain, not getting to the core issue. Rather than address the issue in their relationship, they'll just change to a new one. Rather than realizing that they're the one with the problem, they just go to another church. Because the last six churches they went and all had a problem like the next one they go to. Have you ever thought that maybe it's not the churches that have a problem, but maybe the common denominator in all of it is you? Oh, sorry. So I respect those people. I respect counselors. I respect doctors. But you can't just have tr some symptom treatment. You've got to get to the core. And I respect the Holy Spirit above everything else. And spirit means this. It means breath. The life and the breath of God comes into our being. And it starts to bring healing. And Job 33 verse 4 says, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath all of the Almighty gives me life. And so here's my thought. If the breath of God can create a man, surely the breath of God can change him after he creates him. That surely the anointing and the power of God, that the breath of God, that that anointing that's upon Jesus, if that's what has created us, then surely that can also change us. In Isaiah 44 verse 3 it says, I will pour out water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit out on your descendants and my blessing upon your offspring. I don't know about you, but I, I'm thirsty for the Holy Spirit. I'm thirsty for his anointing this morning. I'm thirsty for it upon my life. I'm thirsty for it upon my marriage. I'm thirsty for it upon my family. The anointing of the Holy Spirit is simply this. It's a fresh touch from God 
on your life. It is a divine influence on the human soul, and it is divine power. And sometimes it's called a divine enablement. In other words, the Holy Spirit comes upon you in such a powerful way that it does a transformation within you that you can't do on your own, that no one else can do. And what that anointing does when the Holy Spirit comes upon us is it enables me to handle the truth about my stuff. It enables me to handle what has happened, but not only handle the truth of my stuff, but it also enables me to take responsibility for the stuff that I'm carrying around, but it also enables me to be healed from the stuff that I'm carrying around, because who the Son sets free is free indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free, and truth is not a concept, truth is a person, I am the way, the truth, and the life, so when you know the truth, you're knowing Jesus, and when you know Jesus, He sets you free, and you don't have to carry around the stuff anymore, because the Spirit of the Lord is upon Him to set you free from all of that. See, the problem that we have in New Zealand is the greatest career in New Zealand is this thing called blame shifting. We're all experts at it. Don't look at me like that. We have degrees in it. Because rather than face something ourselves, it's Gina's fault. It's her fault. She worked in the office with us for about five years, and that's why I'm the person I am today. She mocked me, put me down, and destroyed me, and now I'm just this limited human being. Or it's my teacher's fault. It's always teacher's fault. Hey? Making me do homework, telling me I can do better. What is wrong with them? Every single report card I ever got from a teacher was, Crane can do better. Well, if I could do better, I'd do better. I wouldn't be getting B's. I'd be getting A's if I could do better. You don't understand, I can't do any better because I've got all the social life that's going on around me. Do better. It's not your parents' fault. It's not, it's not anybody else's fault. It's not even the person that did it to you's fault that you're not healed from it. It's not your fault that it happened to you, but it is your responsibility to be healed from it because they're not going to heal you. But Jesus can. And if you allow it to, and if you will embrace the truth, and you'll let God speak into that, then you'll be free. Why? Because Jesus is willing, and Jesus is waiting for you. Listen to this really cool piece of scripture in Mark 1, 40 to 42. It says, now a leper came to him. Now, you got to understand, leprosy in, in the Bible is a representation of sin, but also lepers were outcasts, so we're not allowed inside the city, no one ever went near them, they were pushed way outside of the city limits, because nobody wanted leprosy. It says, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, and saying to him, if you are willing, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. Can you imagine the crowd in that moment? And he said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, I am willing, be clean." In the name of Jesus, I want to tell you this morning, if you are here and you've got stuff 
that you have tried to deal with or haven't dealt with or, or been there. You feel like you've responded to so many obstacles. That I, I want to tell you this morning that he is willing and he is here and he will cleanse you and heal you and set you free. That's what he does. Jesus touches the untouchable and he heals the incurable. But I want us to just go back to Luke 4 as I come to a close, and I want to show you all the different things that God will do for those that need it. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who have been oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I don't know about you, but... I. That scripture sounds really nice, but I don't really understand what it really means. Am I the only one there? Cool, you all get it? Awesome. Would you all like to come and preach this morning? I can sit down. No, okay. It says here, people that are poor. You know what that means? People whose life are emptied and unfulfilled. Empty and limited. That word poor there means inability. It basically means people that just feel like they have no ability to be anywhere but where they are. They can't move on from it. Their life is empty. Their life is limited. There's nothing that they can do. He's come to preach the good news of the gospel to the poor. The second thing in that piece of scripture is people that are brokenhearted. These are people whose lives have been crushed. I don't know about you, but I know some people whose lives have been crushed, who've lost a child, lost a relationship, lost a loved one, lost their house, lost everything, crushed, destroyed. Here's a cool thing, Matthew 12:20 says this, a bruised reed he will not break and a smoking flax he will not quench. You see, God won't snuff you out. He won't kill you. He won't destroy you. You may be bruised, but he can heal you. You may be smoldering, but he can breathe the fire back into you again. God does not allow any. I know some people that, that in my life who lost everything, bankrupt the whole shooting box, lost everything. And you know what? God was uh, good to them. They, they stuck with him. They didn't quit on him. They honored him through their finances, even though they had very little in the season that they were going through. And now they have property worth probably $1.5 million and a beautiful, fairly new car and all that sort of stuff. Why? Because God doesn't crush the bruised and he doesn't snuff out the smoldering but he heals the bruise and he breathes back into life again. People that are captive, it says, he sets free. These are people whose lives are conquered by so many things. Maybe you've got an alcohol problem or you've got some other thing where you just feel completely overwhelmed and you feel like this thing has conquered you, that this thing has got on top of you. Maybe it's porn. You just don't seem to be able to break free from it. The Bible says that Jesus has come to set free their oppressed, to break off what is going on in their lives, to give sight to the blind. So people that are blind, these are people that have lost vision and lost, lost dreams, recovery of sight of the blind. In other words, the ability to see again. In the Greek, that means this, the, blind, the word blind there in the Greek means this, it means to be unclear, 
it's almost a picture of a fog of living in a cloud where you can't see beyond it, and you're just walking around in this fog, and you can't see your way out. God gave me a picture this week. I don't know who it is in this room, but maybe it's several of you, but I felt like God was... I saw this picture as I was driving of before, you know, we had really good air conditioning and defrosting abilities um, in cars. We used to have the cloth. Remember those days, the cloth? And, and what you would do is you would have a cloth down in your side pocket and you'd wipe the inside of the window and then you get driving and then as you were driving along the motorway, you got the cloth out, give it another swoop again. Anybody relate to me? Anybody not relate to me? Yeah, it's because you're from the generation of aircon and defrosting. But we had to wipe windows, didn't we, people? Or in winter, we had to have the windows down. I say windows down because we didn't have electric windows. We had these things, handles. Yeah, come on. And if you're driving in your brother's valiant car, for some reason it would judder as it goes down. It's like a workout, wasn't it? Hey, now you go, flick, zhip. life is so easy for you. But I got this picture of people where, you're, where you're, you've had dreams and you had stuff and, and, and God's come along and you feel like God's wiped the windscreen for you and you're like, man, I can see clearly now. And as you're driving, it just slowly fogs up again and then it's almost like you have this another God encounter and he comes and he wipes it again and then it starts to fog up again, and you're like, man, when, when, God, when is this, can I, can I suggest something to you? I suggest this, that God has come and poured out his anointing upon you on occasions where he's wiped the things clear for you to see, but because you've not dealt with the root problem, he's had to come back again and wipe, because the fog comes down to the fact that you haven't let him come and healed your blindness. And so he comes and he pours out his spirit. Maybe there's a death of a dream in you or a damaged dream in you or your life just doesn't look like how you thought it would happen. The fifth thing that God does is I get the musicians and singers come to the stage. The fifth thing that God does is he heals people that are oppressed. That word oppressed means strength is drained. People just have no strength anymore. Just depressed. Just got, you just, you want to get out of it, but you feel like everything's just been drained out of you. God's come to set you free this morning. And the last one is people who don't believe it's their time. This is the Lord's year to act. Yeah, I hear that. I, I, I just don't think it'll ever be me. I just don't think it's ever going to work out that it's ever going to happen. Maybe next year. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but 2020, year of vision. That was the year, wasn't it? 2020, just about every church on the face of the planet was like, 2020, year of vision. Woohoo! You're like, such a cliche, wasn't it? You know? And then it's almost like, you know, two years into the year of, two weeks into the year of vision. <coughs> Maybe next year will be my year. Maybe, maybe, maybe when the kids have left home. Maybe when I get a new job, or maybe, one, maybe once I've got a, 
house, or maybe I'm not, then it'll be my time. No, 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 it's not what the Bible says. The Bible says now. Now is the acceptable time. Right now. Let me read you four, four five scriptures before we finish.